Hello, I'm Pastor Paul, an associate pastor at Living Word, and this is our podcast. I want to say thank you for joining us today. I know this message will minister to your spirit and it will build your faith. I know God will move in your life because you are a doer of the word. Enjoy today's message. So why are you here tonight? That's how you expected me to start, isn't it? Why'd you come? Are you here just because you're like, well, it's Wednesday, I'm supposed to be in church, and I just wanted to come, and, and hopefully Pastor Paul will tell a couple stories, and, and I'll laugh, and they'll think, they'll, you know, they'll be funny, and I'll go home and feel a little bit better. Is that, and if, if that's why you came, great. Or did you come because you're thinking, wow, you know what, it's halfway through the week, it's been an interesting work week, and I need to get my spirit man filled up on the inside so that I can be more full of him, and I know that while I'm there that somebody is going to speak a word into my life, and it's just going to bless me, and it's going to be good. Or you can think, not only that, but also I walked into service tonight because God said I needed to go over and I needed to share something with somebody and just tell them, you know what, you got this. Or you might think, you know, I need to get there tonight because something Pastor Paul's going to say is going to be something I need two days from now when God's having me witness to somebody else. Or you could be sitting back like everybody in this room going, I was thinking all of that stuff. Because <laughs> you're that good. You're that good. Why are you here? See, we have to constantly remind ourselves of this or we get too distracted with what's going on and we come in and we have some worship and we sit on the chair and we just go, ha. Ah. Right? How many have a chair in your house that's that way? I have a blue chair that's that way. It's Ronnie. You have a chair, don't you? I knew you would have a chair. God bless you, my friend. I have a chair. It's my chair. Right? And the, the recliner comes back. Lumbar hits in the exact spot that I want it to hit in. That's my chair. That's Dad's chair. Right? Dad walks into the room. People get out of Dad's chair. That's Dad's chair. Right? But sometimes we can come into church and think that we're in dad's chair. And we can sit back and we get nothing from it. See, we are only on this earth for a short period of time in scope of the reality of the, the eternity that we're going to be alive, which is forever. I mean, a small speck of time. And on this earth is not the time to sit in dad's chair all the time. It's not, it's not the time while we're on this earth to come to church and sit back. It's not the time to come and sit back and do nothing, right? We are, we are warriors called the army of the body of Christ, right? And he's called us to produce something while we're here, right? How many, how many know there's that, that maternity clock, right, that's on the inside of women? That when they get to that certain point and they're like, I want to have kids, right? And I've also seen the other side of that where that shuts off going, I'm done having kids. <laughs> I, I'm happy with the four that I got and we are done, right? That same thing should be on the inside of you right now where that clock is going off going, I need to get people saved. We have to bring people into the kingdom. We need to share the love of Christ. We need people to know that God is for them and not against them. We need people to know that God loves them. That should be burning so deeply on the inside of you, the same as that maternal clock. That's what's going on. There's a reason why God designed us this way. We should be burning with his, his desire to produce the kingdom right now. But the problem is, is we have too many people that come to church and sit in the pew and act like it's dad's chair that do nothing because they have no idea who they even are. 
right? We see the gender, you know, misinformation, for lack of better terms, of, of all of these people that say they're this or th- say they're that or identify as this or identify as that. You know what they are? They're confused. They don't know who they are. So they're grasping at anything to try to find a reality of who am I? They have no idea. I read a very interesting article recently. I actually sent it on to Marcus and Lizzie because when I want to have a highly intellectual conversation and feel like a very smart person, I talk to them because they're really smart. <laughs> and I'm, you know, just highly. Yeah, I'm, I'm not always the most intellectual. I tend to be more inspirational and I tend to be more exhortational um, and I want to educate my head, but it's the part of me that I put the least amount of time into because that's just what I felt God told me to do, right? But anyway, I read this really interesting article about a, the, the person that was the first... Um, gender pronoun, um, they were the they or whatever. They were the very first person to be the non-binary, recognized by a court of law, so on and so forth. This person has now actually, there was no, nothing in the article talked about God or talked about salvation, but they have come out of that lifestyle and, and are being shunned by that community now because they're basically saying, I was abused as a child, I had mental health issues out the wazoo, and instead of a doctor confronting me and saying, we need to deal through the problems you had as a kid. They just went along with what I was promoting and pushing as this gender, whatever, and all these different surgeries and things. They went along with it out of fear of being sued. And no one ever actually dealt down to the deep problems of the fact of I had issues as a child. And now that they've come out saying this, that they didn't know who they were because they were abused and had problems and were hurt, Now that whole community has shunned them saying, nope, that can't be true. Because the devil is out to destroy the image of God in you. We don't know who we are without looking in the mirror of the Bible and Christ. Right? We need to discover who who we are. Who am I? See, we can't successfully witness to someone else and lead someone else to Christ if we don't know who we are. You can't successfully produce the kingdom if you don't know who you are. You can't do anything God's calling you to do until you first realize, who am I, right? Who am I? What did God make me to be, right? But to figure out who you are, since you're looking in the mirror of the Bible and you're looking in the mirror of the Holy Spirit and God himself, you have to first know who he is to learn who you you are. I would encourage you, if you've not gone through the Bible to study who God is and what, I mean, I mean there's a reason why when you witness to people and you, and you take them to the Scripture and say the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come to bring you life and life more abundantly. God is not here to kill you. And they look at you like cow to Newgate. Like, what? God's not trying to kill me? What about earthquakes? What about all this? I said, so we'll go to the New Testament. There was an earthquake in a church. The whole place shook. There was no destruction. There was no death. Miracles happened and people were set free. That's the earthquake that comes from God. When an earthquake comes in and destroys and kills stuff, that's not from God. Because he said, I come to bring life and life more abundantly. And when he did, through a sign of an earthquake, there was no destruction. See, when you, when you confront people with this and you begin to show them who they are in Christ, it challenges their very thinking. Because so many people have gotten used to just blaming God for everything because he's not physically here in front of us. Let's just blame the unknown. Right? I never got so tired of somebody. Oh, my gosh, especially when it comes to kids. A young, a young child dies in something tragic. 
right? And, you, and I, there's, I'm not a big fan of funerals anyway, right? I've actually, funerals here at Living Word Church haven't been that bad, but I've been to some really weird funerals out there, and there was a few things that just creeping me out, right? I'm just not a fan of funerals, especially when you have to go to a funeral of a, of a child, right? And then you hear all these people like, well, God just needed another angel. Like, lies, lies. You did not know what you're telling this family that God stole their child. What kind of comfort is that? Who would serve a God that steals your children? I mean, come on. God does not do that. He does not do that. But, these, but everybody out there says, I don't know what's going on. I can't understand what's going on, so I'm going to blame the unknown. Because they don't know who he is. But see, we know who he is. We know who he is. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18, I'm going to read in the New King James mostly tonight. A couple other times I'll read something different. But it says, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things. Now, he's talking about the price that he paid for us. He's talking about he, the, how valuable we are and our value and worth to him. We know he's a good God. We know he provides good things. We know he has good presence towards his children because the Bible tells us that. The Bible shares with us. He tried to turn me up and mom said, no, I knew it. I'm just kidding. I love that little guy. We know who God is. And he's saying, I am a good God. I'm a loving God. I'm a generous God. I give good gifts towards my kids, and I call you valuable. 1 Peter 1.18, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold, he's saying you're worth more than money. There is no price of dollar value on this earth that can ever compare to you. You are worth more than billions of dollars. Billions and billions of dollars. For, aim, for your aimless conduct received by the tradition of your fathers, but, but the, bought with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. The New Century Version says, you know that in past you were living in a worthless way. Do you know that it's possible to live a useless life? I know a lot of people living useless lives. And they have money. They have big houses. They have nice cars. They've got great paying jobs and they're living useless lives. See, because I don't determine value or worth of their life based on the stuff that they have. God doesn't do that either. He says it all burns up. That's not how he determines value or worth. And if you're determining your value and your worth by the size of your bank account or the newness of your car or the, the, the newness of your house, then you're wrong. That doesn't determine your worth. You know, I moved from a house that was built in the 1800s to a house that was built in 2006. And just because I physically began to sleep in a house that was 100 years newer than the one that I moved out of does not mean that I was any more valuable to God. It has no value. That means nothing to God. Now, 1 Peter 2.9, you are a chosen generation. God picked you. God, you're not here tonight just because. You're here tonight because God picked you. He picked you. Specifically you. He picked you. He has a calling on your life. A chosen generation. Royal priesthood. You're supposed to be a king. Royal priesthood. Holy nation. His own special God's purchased possession people. That you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. 
to shine for him. That's what that means. To shine for him as, as if on fire. To shine for him as if on fire. To shine for him. Are you shining for him? Are you shining for him? Boy, the kids love my message tonight. They are amening. All three of them. Are you shining for him? Are you shining for him? See, we have to ask ourselves that. Because if you're shining for him, someone can see your light. If nobody knows you're a Christian and doesn't see your light, then are you shining for him? Now, here's the number one, one way that people get off. And I've actually preached this before many years ago, but God said come back to it tonight. But here's the number one way people get off is they put their identity in something that can move and change or be lost, right? Craig, you worked a job for many, many years, and you were over an IT department at the company you were at, correct? So if all I ever saw Craig as is the IT department director, and now he's no longer the IT department director, is he still the same person? Right? But how many times do we see people that their entire value, who they are, is wrapped up in what they do, and when it changes, they crash and burn. They crash and burn because their identity was wrapped up in the wrong thing. I was talking to some teenagers recently about going to college and asking God, you know, and so I keep asking them, what is God telling you to do, right? And one of them, I'll leave names out, but one of them I was a conversation with, this particular person said, God is, I really feel like God's telling me that I need to go to college to get a degree in child psychology and do counseling with children. And I said, are you sure? And they kind of looked at me and I said, I don't know that God is calling you to go to college to get a degree to be able to counsel children, but I think God is calling you to influence the lives of children in any way necessary that you find. See, it's, it's, it's in how we look at it. God isn't going to call her and identify her by a degree, but he is going to call and identify us by how we can produce the kingdom. Because that's something that is not going to change. Our identity has to be in something that is not going to change. What's not going to change? The Word of God, what God says about us, kingdom principles, kingdom ways. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's something that's not going to change, right? The kind of car I drive is going to change. If it never changes, it's going to get old, it's going to rust, and it's going to be gone and quit running. Because eventually Randy's going to look at me and say, I can't fix it anymore. Lazarus is dead. <laughs> Let him go home to be with Jesus, right? Eventually, it's things in this world die because right now, death is reigning supreme because of Adam's sin back in the Old Testament. And in this world, things are dying. This world is dying. You know, global warming is a real thing. Pastor Paul just said what? You know why global warming is a real thing? Because this earth is dying. You know why this earth is dying? Because sin is killing it. Because the wages of sin is death. That's why we're going to get a new heaven and a new earth. Now, it doesn't mean I think the government can fix it. Because the government's not going to get rid of the sin that's causing the problem. Because they have their eyes on the wrong thing. Now, in Matthew 7, 21, it says, Not everyone who says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father will get into heaven. That's what he's saying. You want to know how to produce the kingdom? Do God's will. Do the will of the Father. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? And they're thinking, okay, wait, prophesied in Jesus' name. They must be getting into heaven. Have we not cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? 
And he says, I'll declare to them, I don't know you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness, which means violating or ignoring the will of God. He's saying there are people out there that are prophesying that aren't prophesying God's will. They're prophesying their will. How many ever been in a church service like that? Not here. I've seen it online. If you write a check for $39.99 and mail it into this ministry, we'll pray that God will bless you. I don't know that that's in the word anywhere, and I have a hard time believing God's telling them to say that. Come on now. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and then listens to them, thinks they're good, goes home and says, oh, that was a pretty good message that Pastor Jesus preached when he was on this earth and just mulls it over and thinks about it and forgets about it after a week. Right? No, it says, he whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them. Put actions to them. If you want to know why the Word of God's not working into your life, I ask, what do you do with it? How do you do it? Are you a doer of the word and not just a hearer only? Do we hear something pastor preaches on Sunday? Allow the word to prick our heart, pierce our heart for us to make a change in our life and effectually make that change as we go about our week? Because that's what it's supposed to do. That's what the gathering together of ourselves is supposed to produce. It's supposed to produce change in our lives. Now, if you hear these sayings and you do them, I will like him of the wise man who built his house on a rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and blew and beat upon the house, and it did not fall because it was founded on something that cannot change. The rock of Christ. It doesn't change. But the one who built this house on a sand, something that's ever-evolving, ever-turning into something different, the winds and waves of this world, the sands of Facebook and the sands of Twitter and the sands of everything else, right, and the sands of people's whims, their house falls. Now, I like watching some stuff on YouTube, mostly because finding decent television out there is near impossible these days. So I watch a few things on YouTube, and I've gotten into this where I like building stuff, and I also like traveling. So I've been watching these people that take vans, turn them into campers, and then travel the world, right? And it's this whole movement. There's tons and tons and tons of YouTube channels out there. Some of them solely focused on the refitting of the van so you can learn how to do the plumbing and electrical. Some of them solely focused on the travel so you can see what's out there. And they're all over South America, North America, and all this other, so on and so forth. But there was this young lady in her mid-20s that through the comments that were, you know, this was, she was producing this channel and was doing all this stuff. And through the people's comments on YouTube and social media and all this other stuff ended up taking her own life through the piers and the sands of time, Build, building her house on other people's opinions instead of what God was telling her. We can't afford to do this. Not only can we not afford to do this, we should be the first person to recognize when someone else is building their house in the wrong place. Right? If we were to go along, right, if you're an experienced home builder, and you go along and you see a friend of yours that's putting up a house and you realize something is going to go terribly wrong and you say nothing? Right? If you're an experienced home builder and you see somebody doing something wrong, you should say, hey, you know what? I've done this before. I actually made this mistake. If you changed it to this, it'll work a whole lot better. When I did this, oh, it didn't, it didn't go so well. Or I did this the first time, man, I, I'm, glad I, I'm so glad I did it that way because I see now what I didn't see then and the stability of what I'm building. Why do you think that we will change them by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony? 
See, we're not here tonight just to receive for ourselves. We're here tonight to hear something that helps us to influence change in other people's lives. Now, there is a proper way of doing it, right? I'm not going to walk up to somebody building a house and be like, wow, that is some really shoddy work. Are you sure that's going to stand? Man, I'm not sure you're doing that right. They're going to look at you and go, get out of here. I don't want to hear that, right? But if, I, but if I know someone is a professional and they have experience when it comes to like IT or tech work, I'm going to call them and say, hey, I was thinking about doing this. And they were like, you know what? Through my years of experience, I found this way is better. Oh, you know what? That's a good idea. I've never thought of that. I'm going to do that, right? Because handled the right way. But why would I ever reach out and ask them to come in in the first place unless I knew who they were? Through a built relationship. See, sometimes you build relationships with people not to begin to speak into their life, but begin to show them the God that's in you and allow them to turn around and go, I need that. And the moment they turn around to say, I need that, the moment you're able to step in and say something and it's received instead of being rejected and the relationship ruined. Now, we have to realize that if our identity is not in him and on shifting stand, our entire life could be lost. Our entire life could be lost. See, the love, of, the love of money and possessions is the problem. Money is not a problem. The love of money is a problem. Why? Because we are putting it above God's will and above him, his purpose and him himself. The love of, it's not wrong to have money. It's wrong to put money against over something that is valuable to God. So you can love money and have none of it. You can love money and have a ton of it. Now, your identity is not in something you've been able to accomplish. I've done a lot of things in my life. I could go on and on about how God has blessed me and used me, you know, all through all the jobs that I've had and all this other stuff. But my accomplishments and what I've done, if it hasn't produced anything for the kingdom, means nothing. It means nothing. Why would I want to tell you about how great I am? Because guess what? I'm going to change. And if I'm telling you how great I am, right, which you get a lot of this on YouTube, there's this other side of it of, oh, look at me, look how great I am. I'm going to go give all this money to somebody and make this video about it and then produce more royalties off the video than the money I gave away. But you think I'm a really good person because, look, I'm giving money away, right? I've seen a lot of that out there too, but what is it? Self-serving. Look at me, look at me, look at me, Right? We hit a global pandemic, and all of a sudden we have a bunch of actors out in Hollywood going, look at me, look at me, I'm still valuable, even though I'm stuck at home in my $5.3 million mansion. Aren't you feeling sad for me that I'm quarantined? <laughs> it's just laughable. But you know the thing that's laughable about it? I don't even realize they need Jesus. They're in this giant house feeling completely empty and lost because they don't have him. Their identity is still not in him. Now, don't put your identity in accomplishments. In Acts 4.34, it says, Nor was there anyone among them who lacked. This was a church that was prosperous. This was a church that had some stuff. None of them lacked. They all were blessed. For all who were possessors of lands or houses kept those things, invested them. Right? No, it said God told them to sell it. It doesn't say specifically right here, but this is what I, they were, the church was in need and they, God was speaking to them and saying, to produce my kingdom, I need you to sell this right now and give it to the church. That's what he's asking them to do, to further the kingdom. So they sold them. 
brought all the proceeds that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to everything that had a need in the church. But there's a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, who sold a possession. But he kept back part of the proceeds. His wife was also aware of what's going on. And he said, it brought a certain part later to the apostles' feet. And Peter said, Ananias, why have you filled your hearts to lie to the Holy Spirit? See, what they did is they presented it as this is what we got as profit from this place. It would have been better for them to never sell it in the first place because obviously it was more important than what God was trying to produce. See, their house was built on the wrong thing. It was built on the sand. And as we all know in this story, it all came to a crumbling end right there in the church. They fell dead, gone. It says right there, why are you lying to the Holy Spirit, trying to act like you're producing the kingdom, but there's deceitfulness in your heart? Because they were showing that their stuff was more valuable than what God was trying to produce. If you're at that point where God's saying, I want you to step out and give something, and you're not ready to do that, don't do it. You're better off to not sell it and come in and try to act like you're whatever than to come in and make a big show, right, trying to draw accolades to yourself. It says, you've not lied to men, but you've lied to God. See, this constant need for people to see you, be impressed by you, to watch your YouTube channel, <laughs> it reveals a tremendous amount of insecurity, instability, because you don't know who you are in Christ. They don't know who you are. See, when I see somebody in the world that is preening, peacocking around, look at me, I realize they have no idea who they are. The most assured people I've ever met, Christian and non-Christian alike, are not that way. They're usually very mild-mannered. They're very, they're, they, they, they hold themselves well. They don't preen around and peacock around and are showy. Those tend to be the most, right? They call it big dog syndrome. They tend to be, look at me, look at me, but they're really insecure on the inside. That's the same thing with a person that's hurting. If you have someone that's lashing out at you and trying to hurt you, all it shows me is they're really hurting on the inside. And that's hard to see sometimes because they're hurting you, which is where we forgive 70 times 7 and reach into their life to effect change because they need Jesus. They need Jesus. John seven eighteen. he who speaks from himself seeks his own glory. But he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true, and there's no unrighteousness in him. We need to be delivered from the desperate need to seek approval, recognition, and acknowledgement. It's not about look at me, look at me. It's about look at him. He is the rock in which our lives are built. He is the solid foundation to which there is no other foundation. He is the reason. We are in him. In him. Through Christ, you can do all things. Not through Paul, not through Pastor Doug, not through Living Word Church. Through Christ, you can do all things. Through Christ, you can do all things. We have to know, are you in him? But see, sometimes we're not that person that is preening around. We're not that person that is praising. We're that person who can't see past our own failures who thinks that we can't make any right choices and decisions and we're just nothing but a big screw-up. See, sometimes we're that person. But see, God says, for you to call yourself a screw-up, you're calling yourself ugly when I've called you precious and you're speaking words that are contradictory to my own. 
See, Peter was this way. In Luke 5, when they, when they'd done this, verse 6, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. Simon Peter saw it. He fell down on his knees to Jesus and said, I'm sinful man, Lord. I'm sinful man. He realized he'd screwed up, made some mistakes, and he just fell at Jesus' feet and said, I'm a sinful man. And Jesus looked at Simon and said, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. You will be a fisher of men. And they forsook all and followed him. He began to show him what's valuable in the kingdom. People. He began to show him what's treasure in heaven. People. He realized he was building his life on the wrong thing. See, Peter walked with Jesus, right? He walked with him all this time on the earth. I mean, he was Jesus' defender, right? He was the one that was going to be there. Man, he was bold. Sometimes I feel like Peter. Right? There's been times in ministry, I've been ministry with Pastor Doug for many, many times, and I have seen people hurt Pastor Doug and Lucinda. And there are times where I look, I just want to go to Pastor and say, Look, can I just chop an ear off and you lay hands on and heal it? Because I'm tired of this. I want to go chew their ear off. Literally, I'll bite it off Mike Tyson stuff. I got to. I'm sick and tired of people messing with my pastor. Now, nothing recently. This has been times past, but there's times I felt like Peter, wanting to be defending and knowing what's going on, you know? walked with Jesus, and then Jesus looked at him and said, you're going to deny me three times. See, there's no, worse, there's no worse pain than failure. There's no worse pain than failure. But see, pain can do two things. It can hold you back, or it can remind you never to fail again. The Bible says Peter went out and wept profusely after denying Jesus three times. Even after the master was risen for the dead, he didn't even know how to act around him. See, when Jesus came back in John 21, he was unsure because he had, he had sinned. He had denied him three times. He was ashamed of himself, and he was wallowing in his misery. And he was a different person around Jesus. And Jesus had to shake him out of this. And Jesus looked at him and said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And in his own disparity and his own bashing of himself and feeling like a complete failure, he looks up and says, of course I love you, Jesus. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. He asked him again, do you love me? And he says, of course, now it's starting to hurt. Of course, Jesus, I love you. You know I love you. Why do you keep pointing me out? I already feel like a failure. And he says, take care of my sheep. See, he's reaching into that pit of despair, that wallowing, that pain, and pulling him out and showing him, my sheep are more important than your failures. The third time he said, do you love me? And Peter said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. See, Peter didn't let failure define him. On the day of Pentecost, he preached with fire, became a pillar and led the church. And he didn't let his failures define him, but he allowed the power of God to pull him out of where that was, change his very being and lead and produce the kingdom. See, Paul was the same way. He was Saul of Tarsus. He was murdering Christians. That's what he was doing. And he was proud of it. He was very proud of it. 
In Acts 8.1, Amplify said Saul was not only consenting to Stephen's death, he was pleased and entirely approving. In Acts 8.3, Saul shamefully treated and laid waste to the church continuously with cruelty and violence, entering house after house and dragging men and women out and committing them to prison. This is the kind of person he was. This is who Paul was. This was a man that would kill you, destroy your kids, and laugh on your way to prison. And then give you scriptures to show you why it was okay. Now, we know his life was radically changed when Jesus changed it by touching his eyes. We've seen that story. And in Galatians 1.3, Paul wrote this. You have heard of my earlier career in former manner of the life in the Jewish religion or Judaism and how I persecuted and abused the church of God furiously and extensively and with fanatical zeal did my best to wreak havoc and destroy it. He says, you know where I was, but I'm different. He said in 1 Timothy 1, I thank Christ our Lord who has given me strength to do his work that he considered me trustworthy. See, he realized who he was in Christ. And his whole attitude changed. He said, he's deemed me trustworthy, even though I was the one that was completely against it. I was completely destroyed. I did things horribly wrong. I hurt people, and he still now deems me trustworthy. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter the decisions you made that you think are bad, that you're still holding over yourself thinking, I'm dumb, I should never have made that choice. And there are some of us that have a harder time forgiving ourselves than we ever do forgiving anyone else. And God said, it's time to forgive yourself because I've already forgiven you. It's time to move past it. It doesn't need to define you. It doesn't matter. He still says you're valuable in the kingdom and to produce the kingdom. Hmm. Thank you, Jesus. God made you holy. But he did this for a purpose. He made you holy because there are people out there that need to hear your testimony, that need to see your struggle, that need to realize what it took to build your house on the rock. And there's times where there are parts of the house that weren't built right and you had to tear it down and start over. People need to hear your testimony. They need to hear what you went through. And they need to see how you're built now so you can show them, teach them, and help them because God said, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. See, when we put our identity in the wrong thing, it's not only us that's involved. It's not only us that's changed. It's everybody we're supposed to lead to Christ or everybody that follows our example. Right? One person builds their house on the sand. Next thing you know, there's 10 houses down there. Because this world is full of sheep that just want to follow. And they need the right example. See, you're here tonight because you were the right example. You're the right example. I didn't say you're perfect. I didn't say you made, didn't make mistakes in the past. I said you're the right example for now, for today, for this purpose, for this kingdom-producing time that we're in. It's time to reach people. It's time to know who we are in Him so that we can effectively reach out and touch people. Because you won't reach out if you don't know who you are. You won't love other people the way God wants you to love them if you don't know who you are. Right? Why do, I mean, we know this when it comes to our teenagers. We tell them, have your relationship with God intact before you get married. Because if your relationship with Him is not good, you'll struggle, struggle in your marriage relationship. 
Your relationship with God has to be the strongest. That's the same with everything else. If you don't know who you are in Christ, your ability to witness to other people will be stifled. It'll be stifled. Learn who you are in Him. The more you learn about Him, the more you learn about yourself because He made you in His image. You are made in His image. You are called a royal priesthood, a holy nation, worthy of the blood of Jesus, righteous, chosen. That's who He says you are. That's who He says you are, all for the purpose of producing the kingdom. See, in Acts 11.9, the voice answered me again from heaven and said, what God has called cleansed, don't you call uncleansed or, or common. God is saying, I've called you righteous. How dare you call something unrighteous that I've called righteous? That's what he's saying. He's saying, I have a plan and a purpose for your life. I have something I need you to accomplish. I need you to come to church to not only get something on the inside, but not only to change you, but that you can carry it out and influence change in this world. Amen? Father, I thank you for tonight. I thank you for these wonderful people that chose to come out. They chose to be here tonight. They chose to listen. They came with the right heart. And Father, I thank you for the seeds that have been planted in their life. Seeds, Father, to go dig through the word to find out who am I in Christ? Who is he? Who are you, Father? Seeds in there, Father, for they'll begin to be hungry to find out more about you. Because when we know more about you, we discover more of why you made us the way you did. Because we're made in your image. Father, I thank you that anyone dealing with that self-esteem issue tonight, Father, feeling like a failure, feeling like they can't forgive themselves, I command that spirit broken right now in Jesus' name and gone. Devil, you cannot stay in their life. You cannot stay. They are called, chosen, a royal priesthood, forgiven by God himself. No longer to be held accountable for any of that. They are redeemed and bought with a price. And that blood, that blood washes away that. You are clean and cleansed white as snow. God says, I will never think about that again, and neither should you. It's time to move forward and produce the kingdom. I thank you, Father, that we leave here edified, glorified, and, Father, building each other up. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us. A special thanks to those who give generously to this ministry. It's because of you that ministry at Living Word Church is possible. You can get more information on our website at go2lwc.org. You can also give online as well. If you enjoyed today's podcast, you can subscribe. You can share it with your friends. You can take a screenshot and post it to your social stories. You know what? You can even share it in person with someone who needs encouragement from God's word today. Thanks again for listening. And as always, you're welcome to join us in person where we will worship together and God will minister directly to you. Be blessed this week and be a doer of his word.